right? So one-fifth of our lives we spend talking. And so the words that we use matter, and the attitudes that we use when we carry those words matter. And so today we're going to talk about the cure for complaining. Huh? Complaining is as American as apple pie. In fact, most Christians don't even see it as a sin. It's not a sin that condemns you, but it's a sin that moves us off the mark. There's two types of sin, the, con the condemning sin of rejecting Christ and the sin that we do that causes us to miss the marks that God would have us to hit, to miss the destinies that God would have us to hit. And so complaining isn't a sin that brings condemnation, you know, where you're excluded from the gospel or excluded from the kingdom. But what it does is it's moving your life off of the destiny mark that God would have you to, have, to be on. Numbers 11.1 1 says, and when the people complain, what's it say? It displeased the Lord. Okay, so complaining, displeasing the Lord. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about healthy complaining, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about unhealthy complaining, and I want to talk to you a little bit about how to resolve your complaining. Oh, I'm complaining about this message. I don't want to hear this message. No, it's just kidding. Um, so complaining seldom comes, and in, in, where does complaining come from? It seldom comes from sudden outbreaks. You just don't show up, and all of a sudden you're complaining. It begins with little murmurings. And the attitudes that often come behind complaining is entitlement. This is a big one. This is why complaining is the American way. Because we believe it, we can have it our way, all right? We believe we're entitled to fast and free internet. And when we don't have it, we're going to let everybody know why we don't have it. We believe that we deserve a break. So the American culture is a culture of entitlement. And if you've ever traveled anywhere, you'll realize that other countries don't have the same entitlement expectations as we have. When I went down to Haiti to get on a plane to go into the middle of nowhere, we had to go to this little rinky-dink uh, uh, airport, and I'm used to, you know, one, two, three, four, five, out the door. If you've ever been to Haiti, that is not what is going to happen. You are going to wait hours, right? And things go wrong, and you'll wait even more hours. And no one cares. No one cares and no one's there to bring you coffee. I mean, I'm in an airport and there is no snack machine. What? Are you serious? The plane's not leaving for three hours and there's no snack machine? How in the world, what, what are these people thinking? And I mean, we're in the middle of nowhere. We're in like these little rinky-dink airplanes and I didn't even want to Google how many of those planes have gone down because I think I would be afraid to even get on the plane because I saw them loading everybody on the plane and I'm like going, this doesn't look too safe to me, you know? These little like two engine planes and they're like shoving all these bags on there and I'm like, don't planes crash because they're overloaded? I'm just kind of thinking down that line. And, uh, but I had an entitlement attitude and when I was there, I mean, after two weeks of being there, I mean, here I am after being there, down there for a couple weeks, I would go to Walgreens and everybody would be in a hurry and I'd just be kind of standing there like that because I, now I had gotten used to having to wait but in our culture, we're not used to waiting. And a lot of times our complaining comes out of our senses of entitlement. Next slide. It's, uh, another one that comes around is uh, complaining comes from unproductive behavior. In other words, people just sitting around checking everybody else out. <laughs> well, I wouldn't do it like that. You know, you ever watch those? Not that I encourage you to, but have you ever seen any of those like red carpet shows? Right? The red carpet after the award show. And they're just ripping people down. Oh, <laughs> Can you believe she wore this dress? You know, and the people that are doing all the complaining and all the criticizing are just people that are sitting in the chair doing nothing, right? They're complaining against the people who are actually at the award show. 
who are actually going to get something for doing something, yet you're not doing anything, but you're going to sit there and complain about the people who actually have done something. So complaining oftentimes comes from an unproductive behavior. Sit around and complain. Poor self-image is a big one. That's why the Bible speaks a lot about our identity in Christ. It's a huge piece of who we are. We have to understand this and move ourselves into our identity. Because oftentimes we have a poor self-image. And that poor self-image is how we see ourselves and how we believe God sees us affects everything. How we see God, how we see others, how we you know, go about our life. So people with poor self-image are oftentimes incapable of seeing good. And so their whole heart and their whole attitude is to pull other people down because they don't feel good about themselves. So why should you feel good about you? you know? They don't feel like anything's going right for them. So why should anything go right for you? And so it's a poor self-image and it's a complaint. And, they, and I, here's another one. People complain against people who are actually trying to help them. You ever done that? Try to help somebody and they're complaining and all you're trying to do is help? All I'm trying to do here is help. That's it. So what is it? See, these are just some places where our complaining comes from. And what has to happen as believers is we have to understand this. We have to deal with the issue and we have to move into truth. And then we have to understand that when we're falling into these places, there's a reason why we're falling into these places. We have to root out complaining and not allow it to become a habit. Why? Because complaining is harmful. It's not just harmful to your relationship with the Lord. It's harmful to you. You ever complain a lot and feel like this? David said, I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Huh? You ever complain a lot and you just feel depressed? You're just negative, you know? Now you're like, ah, oh, because it's all the complaining. You're overwhelming yourself with the complaining. You're overwhelming yourself with the negativity. You ever been around somebody that all they want to talk about is problems, all they want to do is complain? And you're like, please, no more problems for the love of God. I can't take it, right? Let's focus on a solution and not the problem because complaining is overwhelming. It becomes overwhelming. So the question is, is what do you complain about? What are you complaining about? The issue is, so if you can identify your complaining, then we go back to the roots, and then we deal with the roots because everything springs from the roots. What does the Bible address? Well, it has a lot to say about complaining, a lot. More than this teaching can handle, in fact. Who do we complain about? Well, the Bible tells us we complain about others. And it actually tells us not to, Christian. Do not grumble about each other, or you will be corrected. Oh, do not grumble about others, or you will be corrected. Don't you understand the judge stands at the door? We judge other people. We complain about other people. We put other people in these lower positions, and God corrects us. I don't know about you. A lot of times, people that don't have kids have a lot to say about parents who do have kids, right? People who have never raised teenagers have a lot to say about parents who are raising teenagers. You know what I've discovered? That parents, this is a true statement, help me out. Parents who have raised adult children have little to no advice to give parents. Do you know why? Because they've raised the child. And the only thing they can do and the only thing they have to offer to the parents, which is wise, is encouragement, love, and grace. But oftentimes, parents that don't have kids have a lot to say about the parent who does have a child. Parents who are raising, particularly teenagers, you know, I get people that have little babies. Oh, I would never raise my teenager like that. I'm like, have you raised any teenagers? No, but when I have a teenager, I would never raise them like that. I'm like, okay, 
Let me know how that works out in 12 years and you tell me how that, how that all goes for you. Or better yet, I would never feed my child McDonald's. I'm like, well, how many children do you have? I don't have any children, but when I have children, I will never feed them McDonald's. Okay, my, co- my little, I tell that story off my daughter. She used to cry, like I'd be driving, I'd be, had to run around a lot and I'd have Mariah with me in the car and I'm driving around and she'd be crying and screaming and I have nothing in the diaper bag. There is nothing worse than have a toddler screaming right next to you and there is no snacks in the diaper bag. That's horrible. You see the golden arches and you hear angels singing. Ah. You know, and you go through and you get French fries and you put them in the thing and you give them to her. And so Sherry had a thing and I had to show up and I, I was late because I had to get, they're like, where were you? And I was like, oh, I had to get my eye. I didn't have any food, I had to get some French fries. And this woman goes, I would never feed my child McDonald's ever. She's what she says to me. I go, yeah, how many kids do you have? She's like, well, I don't have any kids, but when I have kids, I'm never feeding a McDonald's. I'm like, okay, thank you. All right, good to say. But what happens is, is that we complain about others. Then all of a sudden we get children and we realize it ain't all that. You know, we start putting our hands over our mouth. Like I got no, nothing to say here. And do you know why? Because nothing is more humbling than occupying the position of the person you once dismissed. There is nothing that humbles you more than being put in the position of the person you once judged. Now, yeah, amen. Help me out. Help me out. It's true. And so what the Bible is telling us is that we shouldn't grumble, complain, bicker, you know, oh, judge. Oh, I would never do that. Oh, I'm not like that. Oh, 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 oh. Really? Because you're going to be put in that position. The Bible says Jesus will correct you. When we have that attitude and take it from someone who has been corrected, more than once. I am slow to speak, right? Why is Kevin slow to speak? Because he has been corrected, right? Nothing is more humbling than occupying the position of the person you once dismissed. So we're not to complain about others. Next slide. Here's another one we complain about. We complain about serving. Oh, do you know you're a servant? I tell this to the Christian all the time. Do you understand that you're serving? And here again is where our entitlement culture comes in. It's particularly with the church, right? We do everything for you. It's all done for you. We're going to put recliners in the front row, chairs that vibrate. We're going to put on a a full Broadway production for you on Sunday and give you scorecards that you can hold up and tell us whether or not we did a good job or not. That's what we do. And we think that that's what it means to be a Christian, is having all of our felt needs met. That's not what it means to be a Christian. Jesus calls you into a kingdom, and you know what he calls you? Servants. And you know what he says? The servant is not above his master. That's what he says. And he tells us to serve, to humble ourselves, serve one another, serve his purposes, serve his kingdom. And what's the point? It's not about you. You become who you are through servitude. You become who you are by serving and caring for other people. This is the gospel. And it says, be hospitable to one another. What does that mean? Servant-minded without complaining, without grumbling. I can't believe it. They asked me to take the trash out. You believe that? They said they had a toilet in the back that needed cleaning and they actually asked me to go back there and clean it. Are you kidding me? Do you know who I am? You mean they wanted me to set up and tear down for an event that I was supposed to attend? How dare anybody ask me to set up and tear down? How dare you ask me that? Yet this is what we do. Oh, we just got to complain and, oh, I just, you know, I got to go serve some. I got to pick up Sister Susie again for church this morning. Oh, God, why me? (laughs) We complain and we grumble about serving. Serving is an honor. 
We don't get to serve. We don't have to serve. We get to. Jesus has given you an opportunity to serve. How many know Jesus pays his servants? You believe that? He doesn't expect anything for free. What you give to him, nobody does business with God breaks even, so you know. You cannot do business with the Lord and break even. You cannot serve him and him not reward you. It's impossible. No one's going to go, oh yeah, here's my debt card, Jesus. He's going to go, and here's your payment that you had, plus all of this extras that I found bonus on top of it. We complain about the word of the Lord. Okay? This is what happens. Okay? This is, again, this is cultural Christianity within America. And I don't know why I'm going down this road, but for whatever reason, I keep feeling like I'm going down the road of cultural Christianity, which was not my intent. We complain against the word of the Lord. And so we do teachings in our churches that don't offend anybody. We do teachings in our churches that don't challenge anybody. You know, let's give them bubble gum and popcorn and, you know, let's do a song and a dance and let's make everybody happy and give some people some pinwheels when they walk out the door. Hey, I'm all for the carnival, man. I'm all for it. But we can't have a steady diet of the carnival. You ever eaten carnival food? Okay. It feels really good. You know, you're eating that, 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 whatever it is, that, that thing that they cook and they put the powdered sugar on it. There we are. Funnel cakes. Yes. You're eating that funnel cake and it's awesome. You're rocking, man. You know, and you're going on a few rides and you're doing all this other stuff. But if you have a steady diet of funnel cakes, you're going to be nauseous. You're going to be sick. And so I'm all for the funnel cake. I'm all for the pinwheel. You know, we have parties here. We celebrate. We do all that other stuff. But that can't be the steady diet of the people. Right. We'll create anemics and sugarholics and all kinds of things. And so what happens is, is we teach people to complain about the word of the Lord. So when they hear a message that's challenging, this is what happened. They murmured in their tents and they did not obey the voice of the Lord. So what happened? The, Moses was teaching them something. So they went all went home and like, oh, I just, I just don't know about that. That doesn't bear witness with my spirit. I don't know. The pastor said this or the teacher said this or that scripture says that. And I don't know if that scripture is actually meaning what it means. I want to see it in the Greek. I want to see it in the Hebrew. That doesn't bear witness with me. And so they hear the word of the Lord, and rather than yielding to it, they complain against it. You see? Yielding to the life-giving message produces life. Complaining against it doesn't go anywhere. And then we complain about the word of the Lord. And here's the big one. God has a lot to say about complaining. The Old Testament is full of God dealing with the people who couldn't stop complaining. And how many knows they didn't enter promises? There's an entire generation that did not enter into what God had for them, that did not enter their destiny, that did not enter the will of the Lord. The will of the Lord was that they be blessed. They did not enter it because they couldn't stop complaining. Numbers 21. This is just one of many passages along the same lane. It says, They journeyed to Mount Hor, which is by the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. So if you're familiar with the nation of Israel, they're going the south, they're on the southern end of the nation of Israel. And the people became impatient. They were what? Why were they impatient? Because they were depressed and they were discouraged. And why were they depressed and discouraged? Because of the trials. You ever become depressed and discouraged because of the stuff you're going through? <laughs> of the way. They're just trying to follow God and all this stuff is challenging them. And they became depressed along the way. But rather than taking their issues to the Lord, they took their issues to one another about the Lord. We see the problem here? 
The issue is never taking your issues to the Lord. The issue is taking your issues about the Lord to other people. That's where the fault lies. The fault lies is when we go sideways with our conversation and not vertical. That's a problem. And the people spoke against the Lord and against Moses. Why have you brought us out here to die? There's no bread. There's no water. And we loathe this contemptible, unsustainable, unsubstantial manna. Then the Lord sent or released fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and the people died. And then they came to the conclusion, hey, we might have sinned here, okay? There's death among us. There's death in our relationships. I'm not quite hearing the Lord. It doesn't feel like he's hearing my prayers. Maybe I've sinned in my slander. Maybe I've sinned in my murmuring. And so Moses prayed for the people and the serpents left. So what's the point? What were they complaining about? This is important. We have to understand this. This is important. They complained against the Lord. How did they do that? They ascribed evil to him. When you ascribe evil to the Lord, you are complaining against him. They, God was good. And they were saying, you are out to kill us. You have given us this. This is all from you. Our problems are because of you. And they complained against the Lord to each other. Here's what God doesn't have a problem with. You want to complain to him and have an open heart to receive from him? He will hear you. You want to complain to each other? He has an issue with it because what it begins to do is build strife and contention among the people. And it galvanizes his people away from him. So when we complain about the Lord to one another, that's a problem. You can complain about the Lord to the Lord. And you know why? Because he can handle it. He can handle it. And you know what he can handle? He can handle communicating back to you. He can go, are you finished now, Kevin? Thank you for sharing. Great table talk. I really appreciate all that. Now let me show you some things. Now let me teach you. Thank you for getting all that off your chest. Now let me impart some things to you that you might actually learn from. This is how it works. But what the people were doing is they were ascribing evil. God has done this to us. We're here because the Lord is not good. And the Lord's like, okay. And then they complained against the leadership. I don't think this guy leading us knows what he's doing. I don't think so. If I was in charge, well, things would be a whole lot different around here. We're not in charge. You know, and that's what we saw with Moses. We had a guy named Korah who said, I should be in charge, Moses. You don't know what you're doing. And the Lord said, okay, Korah, ground opens up, swallows Korah, Korah's no more. Then, true story. Then we have Aaron's, then we have Moses' brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam going, Moses, you don't know what you're doing. We're from the same family as you. We should be leading this thing. And the Lord goes, really? Come out before me. Who said that? Oh, Miriam, you said that. Boom, you're a leper. You're leprous. You're outside the camp for a week. Now you're not allowed to enter or be. You're unclean because of your attitude and your actions towards the one I've called to lead you. Ouch. Ouch. If my boss, if I was running this company, things would be different. Well, you're not running the company, okay? You're not. Your God has blessed you to be in a company that's run by somebody else. Can you pray for your leader? Can you pray? Because that's what we're called to do. I mean, I, look, I, like, I, like, I don't want to get into that because it's going to take me too much time if I start talking about my complaints. But, <laughs> 
But we pray for our bosses. We pray for our spiritual leaders. We pray for our government. We pray for them. Your complaints may be warranted. Your complaints may be justified. But the Lord's like, you got a complaint? Tell it to me. Stop telling it to everybody or else. Stop having little groups and getting together over by the water cooler and going, oh man, no Christmas party this year. Can you believe that? I just can't believe this boss wouldn't give us a Christmas party. Yeah, this company sucks. I don't want to work here anymore either. And now you're galvanizing. You see how it works? It's poison. It's the same thing in churches. It's the same thing in families. It's the same thing in relationships. It's the same thing in businesses. Kids get together, complain about the parents. Yeah, mom and dad, they don't know what they're doing. If I was dad around here, things would be different. Well, you'll get your chance, son. That's what I tell my son all the time. You'll get your chance. Don't you worry about it. That day is coming. <laughs> so they complained against the leadership. They complained against the miracles. What? We are so fed up with the supernatural stuff, Moses. What is the problem? Why do we have all the supernatural stuff going on? Bread from heaven? I mean, you're literally feeding us miracles. We're tired of it. We want the flesh. We want meat. We want to go back and eat meat like a slave. That's what they said. God was feeding them miracles, and they despised it. He was feeding them power, and they hated it. Well, it makes me uncomfortable. I have to actually go out there and gather this up and then make a meal, and I'm eating supernatural bread? I, I just don't know. I just, I just, this makes me uncomfortable. They despised the miracles. And what happened? Their complaining opened the door to serpents. God released. Basically, it means withdrew. That's what it means. The serpents were there all along. The serpents were wanting to consume the people of God. But when they complained and they said, we don't want you, Lord. We think you're evil. We think the leaders you appointed don't know what they're doing. And we're sick and tired of this miracle stuff. And the Lord goes, have at it. Lifted his hand. Serpents came in among the people. And what happens here? What happens? Well, while they died physically, we die spiritually. That's what happens. Our relationship with the Lord becomes hindered until we deal with our issues of complaint. Until you deal with the issue of complaint within your own heart, your relationship now is hindered and your relationship now is poisoned because of that attitude. Just saying. He said, they come to him and they say, we've sinned. That their complaining cost them 40 years. Could it be that your complaining might cost you 40 years of your life? Do you have 40 years to spare? I don't. <laughs> Next slide. This isn't relative only to the Old Testament. This is relative to the New. Matthew chapter 12, same problem. Jesus shows up, breaks their dogma. Well, we've taught the people that it looks like this. And so the, the disciples come and Jesus allows them to break the teaching of the patricians. The disciples start eating grain and the Pharisees are offended and they're like, that's not what we've taught them to do. That's not what we've told them to do. And Jesus is like, what you're teaching them to do is ignorant and foolish. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. This has nothing to do with preventing someone from eating. And then you guess what he does? Same day, same occasion, same instance. You know what he does? He heals a dude in the middle of all of them, a man with a withered hand. And you know what Jesus does? Come forward. I'm going to heal you. And you know what the Pharisees did? They looked at him and they said, first of all, they said two things. Is he going to heal? And then the second thing they said, is he going to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. 
And then if that wasn't enough for them, he cast a devil out in the middle of them. And then they went, And then they ascribed evil to the Lord. And they said, he does this by the power of demons. They said, you are evil, and what you're doing here is evil. What you're doing here is against the Lord. That's what they said. And Jesus' harshest rebukes, are some of the harshest rebukes in the entire Bible, are found in Matthew chapter 12. And he rebukes them for profaning the Holy Spirit. He rebukes them for their attitude and their actions. And you know what he calls them? A brood of vipers. You know why? Because it was the same language that he was using in the book of Exodus. Same exact language. You are of the devil when you speak like this. This is the same viper spirit that was among the people when that, when that happened at, at Terabah. Same spirit. And you are of that brood. And you're teaching my people to be like that? And he tells them, he says, you, how can you speak good things when you're evil and wicked? And if out of the fullness of your mouth, you're speaking what is in you. The good man out of the inner treasure speaks what is good. The bad man out of the inner treasure. And here's what he says. I tell you, you know, I told him not to profane the spirit. He tells him this. I tell you, every idle word you have spoken will be held to account. And they went, oh, oops. You know what they said? Oops. You know what the next thing they asked for? Do another miracle. And he said, no, no more miracles for you. You disdain them, you will not see them. You despise them, you will not experience them. We cannot disdain or despise the miracle power of God. The Hebrew people were a miracle culture, in case you don't know that. You're a miracle culture. You're born again by a miracle. You're born again by the Spirit. It's not your belief, it's the Holy Spirit's work that does the work. Okay? Your belief is just the door that opens so that he can come in and do the rest of the work. Hebrew people were born again by miracles. Signs and wonders, ladies and gentlemen. You can't get away from it. Every single book of the Bible has signs and wonders. Prophetic word, whatever it may be, it's there. They were born again through 10 plagues destroying their enemies. Passover lamb, Red Sea opening, Red Sea closing, you know, bread coming down from heaven, all kinds of crazy things happening. They were a miracle culture. And Jesus stands there and they say, well, show us another sign. And he's like, nope, you've disdained me. No sign will be given to you except the resurrection. How many Christians today see no miracles other than the resurrection? Why? Because we disdain them. We despise them, right? And the majority of the Christian is just open to it. They're like, yeah, man, let's do the miracle. But the churches are not leading the people into it. And that's the problem. And so what we experience today as a church is we see nothing more than the sign of the prophet Jonah. That's what Jesus said. No more miracles. The only miracle you're going to experience is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Why? Because you don't want to see anything else, so I'm going to give you that one, and that's it. That's it. So we have churches, denominations, building citadels. Great. God's, is God not moving? Of course he's moving. But it's merely the sign of the prophet Jonah. That's it. That's the demonstrated miracle within the church today. And that's celebrated. And it should be celebrated, rightfully. But there's a whole lot more than the sign of the prophet Jonah, in case you didn't know that. How do we cure our complaining? How do we cure this? Number one, we have to believe that God is good. He is good. No matter what your heart tells you, no matter what your mind tells you, no matter what your circumstances tell you, you must tell yourself. The Bible uses this in Philippians. Pound it in. Okay? <laughs> 
It means even if you don't believe it, beat this into your skull, all right? Pound it in. God's good. Tell yourself God's good. Doesn't matter what I'm experiencing. Doesn't matter what I'm going through. The Lord is good and the Lord is for me. That you must believe. God is good and you are loved. You are no less loved than anyone else. What he has done for one, he, has do to, he will do for another. He is no respecter of persons, okay? God does not have favorites, he has intimates. And you know what intimates look like? The ones who ask him. That's what it looks like to be intimate. Everyone's favored, you're all favored. Everyone has the same favor on you. But we have not because we ask not or we do not press in. Or we believe something about the Lord that prevents us from pressing in. We believe he's not good or we believe he doesn't love us. And we believe that it's all about us. Well, if you knew who I was and you knew what I did, you wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't bless me either. Well, he knows what you are and he knows what you did. And he wants to bless you anyway. And you go, wow, and that's the point. That's why it's called amazing grace. Because <laughs> he loves you in spite of you. He cares for you in spite of you. It's not about you, it's about him. And you become good when you serve the one who is good. You become like him. His goodness becomes transferred to you and you become changed. You're not good because you come to, you're not good. He doesn't love you because you're good. He loves you because he can make you good by his grace, by his spirit. You have to believe that the gifts and promises are for you. Whatever God said, it is yours. Whatever God said in the affirmative, positive way of a promise, it is for today. I'm here to tell you, if God spoke an affirming, positive promise, it is for today. The prince of Baptist preachers of all things, uh, Spurgeon. You want to find a promise? Find, you, want to, you want to find God? Find a promise and wait for him there. You want to see the Lord show up? Find a promise in his word and believe him for it, and that's how you experience him. That's not even coming from a charismatic. How about that? Complaints go up. What does that mean? When we complain, the complaints go to the Lord. They go to him. And we take our issues to the Lord. We take our problems with the Lord. And here's the problem. Here's why we can't take our problems to the Lord. Because we're emotionally, arrestedly developed. We have to develop healthy and become whole emotionally. And because we don't know how to process our emotions, we're dysfunctional in how we respond to them. Because we don't understand them. Yet God will restore the soul, that is the emotion, if we'll allow him. What, is not, what does a lack of complaining do? Well, I'm going to read this verse, and I'm going to talk to you about this thing right here, and then we're going to close. It says, do all things without grumbling and fault-finding. Let's just say that together. Do all things without grumbling and without fault-finding. And complaining because against, uh, complaining against the Lord, questioning and doubting among yourselves. Why? That you may show yourself to be blameless, guileless, innocent, and uncontaminated, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and wicked generation, among who you are bright and shining lights. You want to shine like a light? Stop complaining. Why? You're going to stand out because everybody else complains, right? Speak life, not death. Speak positive, not negative. Speak hope, not hopelessness. And you're going to stand out. You're going to stand out. You were called to shine like a light. And that hope doesn't come from you. That hope comes from the Lord. Jesus is always the answer, and Jesus is always the difference maker. There is no situation that is not dead as long as the God of resurrection is in that direction. He's the God of the resurrection. You say, it's dead, Kevin. It's over. It's over. It's dead. It's dead. He can resurrect anything. He's going to resurrect the whole world, in case you don't know. He's resurrection. He is the God of resurrection. He brings life to the dead. 
So how do we stop complaining? Well, there's a something that's called, that they do in addiction therapy, and I hope to apply it here, because we're called to be addicts, but not addicts to ourselves or substances or relationships. We're called to be addicted to Jesus, in case you didn't know that. Yeah? That's why his spirit is so intoxicating. That's why it's called like being drunk or high. When you experience the Holy Spirit like a drug, he's supposed to be addicting, that we are drawn, and as the deer pants for the water, that sounds like a Jones to me, so my soul longs for you. We are to be addicted to him and to his presence, and we are to hunger for his presence more than anything else in this life. So where, does our, where do our problems come from? There's this thing called halt, and it means, hung, let's say it together, hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. That's where all our problems come from. They come from being hungry, they come from being angry, they come from being lonely, and they come from being tired. So next slide. Here's the question. Are you hungry? What does that look like? Well, maybe you're hungry for food, but chances are you're hungry for something else. What's missing? These are the questions we have to ask ourselves. Why am I doing what I'm doing? What's missing in my life? What do I want? And we're afraid to ask these questions. So a lot of times when we're dissatisfied and we're complaining and we're antagonistic, it's because we're actually hungry for something else. And we don't know what it is, first of all. And then the second thing, we don't even want to dare ask the question, what do I want? What do I want? I tell us the husbands in marriage all the time. You know, I always tell, I tell them, I said, tell your wife to teach you how to love you. Love her, right? And I always ask Sherry, what do you want? Well, what is it that you want? And she'll go. Well, I don't know, but I'm going to find out, and then I'm going to let you know. Because the truth is, she's upset, complaining or, or over something, and she didn't even know why. She wants something, but she doesn't even know what it is she wants. What do you want? Why are you complaining? What are you hungry for? It says, the Lord satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. It's for you. He has it for you. He just wants to know, what do you want? Disciples were following Jesus. You don't think Jesus knew what he wanted, what they wanted? Yet he turned to him and says, what are you seeking? He's got a blind man sitting on a corner with a tin cup and a rag on his eyes. And Jesus goes, what do you want? Uh, duh. He knows what you want, but he wants to know, do you know what you want? He wants your hunger to match his. his he wants your desire to match his provision. That's what he wants. Are you hungry? Are you angry? Why are you angry? Huge, huge principle here. If we leave with this one, we're going to win, all right? Anger, say it together. Anger is always a secondary emotion. Anger is never a primary emotion. Anger is always driven by something. So anger just doesn't show up for no reason. Anger is always a secondary response. So what are you angry about? Genesis, God asked Cain, why are you angry? Why are you angry? Why are you upset? Why are you downcast? Why do you feel rejected? What's the problem? What's the root of your anger? I don't feel loved. I don't feel cared for. I don't feel, I feel like you hurt my feelings. I don't feel like I'm valued. What, whatever it may be, I don't feel like I matter. What are you angry about? I got passed over. It's usually something related to that. I didn't like the way you talked to me. Why are you angry? We have to deal with why we're angry. Then when we understand why we're angry, we can actually deal with it in a healthy way, right? We can actually go to the person that we're mad about and say, hey, when you said this, I felt like, and it made me mad. Well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. That's not what I meant, so please forgive me. Oh, okay, now your anger's gone. Or I expected you to show up and you didn't show up. Well, you know, 
That's the whole point. Why are you angry? Why are you angry with others? Why are you angry with yourself? Why are you angry with God? Deal with that root. Are you lonely? What does that look like? Do you feel unloved? Do you feel unaccepted? Listen, we have to confront this stuff, right? We never want to admit that we feel unloved. We never want to admit that we feel un unaccepted. We never want to admit that we feel unprovided for, yet we do, don't we? Are there any human beings in the room? Yes, okay? So we have to admit that these are the case. Are we lonely? Are we unloved? Do we feel unprovided for? Do we feel uncared about? And here's the point. If it's with another person, we can deal with it. But if it's from the Lord, which is where all substance flows, we need to bring it back to him. Lord, I don't feel like you love me. I don't feel like you care. And then he's going to say, Kevin, I do love you and I do care. And you know what he's going to ask me? What do you want? And if I go, well, I just want you to make me feel like you love me and make you feel like you care, like I care, like you care for me. And he's going to go, he's going to ask me again. Well, I don't even know what that looks like. Do you know what it looks like to you? So tell me what it is you want and then I'll meet you at that place. That's what it looks like. What are you angry about? Well, I'm angry about because you said this and then this happened and then now I'm over here and now this is going on and I don't understand. Deal with it. Here's a, uh, well, there's a, I can't read the, I'm out of time. But 1 Kings 19.10, it says, I've been zealous for the Lord, Elijah the prophet. He says, I've, I've, I've done everything you wanted me to do, Lord, and I'm, I'm alone. He tells the Lord I'm alone. And the Lord eventually ministers to him and he ministers to him right here. Next slide, last slide. He ministers to him right here and he tells Elijah, you're not alone. You're not alone. You feel like you're alone, but you're not alone. You feel like you're uncared for, but you actually are. So, and then God brought him into a reality. Are you tired? Here's a big one. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you tired? Right? Are you running like a person who beats the air? Elijah laid under the broom tree. God, let him, God told him when the Lord, he started complaining to the Lord, the Lord goes, listen, Elijah, chill out, take a break, rest, sleep. And then he's sleeping, and so the angel comes down and kind of kicks him and wakes him up. Oh, supernatural encounter there. Angel shows up, kicks him, wakes him up, and says, here's some food. God's prepared some food for you. Eat. And then he eats, and the Lord says, sleep again. Then he wakes him up again and says, here's some more food. So what does that mean? God will take care of you. Sometimes if you just need to rest, sometimes you need to just chill out. You need to just take a breath, just relax. Sometimes you need to feed on the things that God provides for you provides for you? What does he provide for you? His word, his spirit, his worship, his presence, his people, his prayer. We feed on the things that God provides for us and it encourages us. And he says to Elijah, this journey is too great for you. If you don't learn how to rest and you don't learn how to feed on the things that God provides for you, you're not going to make the journey because it's about rest, eating him, and it's about feeding on the things that he provides. He asked him another question. What are you doing here? God's all about questions. What do you want? Why are you angry? Why are you here? He's like, well, I thought he was omniscient. I thought he knew everything. He knows everything. He knows. He just wants you to know. Do you know? Do you know why you're here, Elijah? Do you have any idea why you're in this place? Uh, because I'm afraid and I feel alone and I feel uncared for and I feel unloved. That's why Elijah was in that place. Because he was afraid, he felt alone, he felt uncared for, he felt unloved. And where was he? He was in a cave. Hello. The Lord brought him out of the cave with a blessing. to Jesus, I want to call you forward out of where you are spiritually. I'm not going to call you out of your chair, so just take a breather. If you want to come, you can come. I'll pray for you there too. But we're going to pray.
pray together as a group. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, maybe you want to give it back to Jesus. Maybe you've held on to it and took it back from Him, or whatever it may be. And it doesn't mean you're not saved, you've just been holding things from Him. And you want to just release the things back to Him. If that's you this morning, just open your heart. And we're going to pray together as a group. And the Lord's going to just bring a special grace to you. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he was risen from the grave, you will be saved. So let's just pray this together. Let's just pray. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I invite you inside. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to repurpose me. And I ask you to restore my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. Let's just pray this together. 